0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, as me and Nathan just said tonight, whether you believe it or not, it's here, amen? Amen. We get to do sports camp, and the theme of this year's sports camp is good vibes only. And it deals with our identity in Christ using an acronym, VIBES, V-I-B-E-S, meaning that our identity in Christ, Christ says that we're valuable, we're influential, we're brave, we're encouraging, and we're selfless. I want you to know that our identity in Christ is critical for everyone, not only for our kids. Because getting our identity right really changes a lot of things you see once I understand who I am in Christ it changes me but then it also changes the way I see other people in other words you've heard me say it you're probably maybe sick of me saying it but I'm going to say it yet again unless we see people how Jesus sees people we will never be able to love people like Jesus loves people. That applies to yourself as well. You have to see yourself right too. Jesus just never looks on the surface. He sees deep below to who we are. So Jesus sees you correctly. And he loves you deeply. So not only do you have to see other people right, but you have to see yourself right. And as kids, as they come and learn to see themselves and others as Jesus sees them, they can realize then that everybody needs a Savior. Even the people who look like they have it all together. Because a relationship with Jesus changes everything. The church, I want to tell you, and I have to as the pastor, I need to tell you this. It is no mistake that we have prepared you with this relational needs series to end before sports camp, just need you to know that's not by accident. Because this week we will have an opportunity to see more people on our campus than we see at other points during the year. We will be able to put relational needs into practice. We will be able to focus on what people need, not the deeds that people have done. We will meet them right where they are and love them. Like Jesus so we're concluding this series today and somebody would probably say amen (laughs) we're concluding this series today with one of the main things that I want you to know and that is is that if you haven't been paying attention what I've been trying to help you do is to move past irrelevant religion and to focus on relevant relationships based on great commandment love in other words we have to have good relational vibes why Why would we need to have good relational vibes? Because irrelevant religion focuses only on people's behavior and the rational approach to truth. This was exactly the religious leaders of Jesus' day viewpoint. It was focused on behavior and focused on rational truth. And that was really irrelevant to the most of the people that were out there. So Jesus came and kind of flipped the tables and he said, listen, I want to show you about relational relevance. Relational relevance focuses on loving God and loving one another based on meeting relational needs that's based on great commandment love that really says in John 13, 34 and 35 to love one another as Christ has loved us. So this morning, it's good for us to experience a Bible verse that will be foundational, really, I believe, to loving our kids this week and developing good relational vibes. We're going to kind of process Psalm 139 together in in a way. So this morning, I want to take you first of all to Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. So let's put that text in a context. Preacher talk here. Just need to know this is preacher talk. But a text without a context is a pretext. If I take a text out of its context, I can make it say anything I want it to say. So we need to put it in its context. So at the beginning, I don't know if you've noticed in Psalm 139, but at the beginning of that psalm, it says for the choir director, a psalm of David. (laughs) For the chief musician. This is written out of David's experience of the Lord. It's not just his head knowledge, but it's his life experience. David speaks of several eternal truths of theology concerning the person of God. Verses one through six, he talks about God's omniscience. The Lord knows everything there is to know about you and me. He says, oh Lord, you are acquainted with all my ways. Then in verses 7 through 12, he talks about God's omnipresence. That there's nowhere that you can go to the highest heights of the depths of the earth. There's nowhere you can go where God isn't there. And then in verses 13 through 18, he focuses on God's omnipotence. That the Lord is... All powerful. There's none more powerful than than him. He's created everything. He's the creator, sustainer, pro, provider, and sovereign ruler of all of life. And it's from that context of, of David's experience that the Lord, who knows him, that the Lord who is with him, who's fearfully and wonderfully created him, that David praised the prayer that we just read. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, based on that view of God, search me, oh, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. God, search me and know my heart. Put me to the test and see my anxious thoughts and, and then see if there's anything in me that is displeasing to you and then please lead me in the everlasting way. So I guess I come with a big question. I wonder this morning, do you have a proper view of yourself? Do you really understand how the Lord really sees you? You see, David's prayer there is one of self-awareness. It's self-awareness in God's presence. One commentator I read said this. He says, this kind of prayer helps avoid self-deception and allows God to show you the true condition of your soul. David says, search me. In other words, is my heart loyal? This is the prayer of the disciples at the Last Supper when the Lord announced that one of them would betray him. So each one of them began to say, is it me who will betray you? Search me, O Lord. Where is my heart? He says, Know my heart. Job prayed, Lord, weigh me in accurate scales. Jeremiah says that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Know my heart. God, try me, David says, Test me. David asked God to test him as a refiner, test metals, to, to put him in the, the pot and to heat it up, and all the impurities in his life would rise to the top. Know my anxieties. The things that cause me worry or anxiety, it's interesting that the word there is the word for branches. In other words, the things that weigh me down, God, show me those things. And then see, Lord, see if there's any hurtful or wicked way in me, if there's any offensive way of pain, am I any way that's displeasing to you? Is there any apostasy in my life? Is there any idolatry in my life? If there's anything that's displeasing to you, God, please remove it and lead me in, the way. in other words, David's saying, I'm saying yes before you even tell me what the question is. God, my, my, my heart is already wanting to obey you before you lead me. I will follow. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is abundant joy, in your right hand are eternal pleasures. So, in other words, why are we praying such a prayer, David? What is so on your heart that we would pray such a prayer? Well, Hebrews 4.13 gives us a clue. It says, no creature is hidden from him, meaning the Lord, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Based on great commandment love, I want you to look at three ways that David teaches us of how we can have good relational vibes. The first one is this, I can have good relational vibes when I embrace how the Lord really sees me. So how does the Lord really, truly see you and me? Well, the Lord sees your life above the surface. He sees your life above the surface. In other words, what's sticking out? Where most people can see, the Lord sees that. Because Psalm 139 tells me that the Lord really deeply knows you. In verses 1 through 6, he says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. Did did you know that the father already knew you'd be doing all this in church? You understand my thoughts from far away. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue. Oh Lord, you know it all. You have encircled me behind and in front and have placed your hand upon me. And David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I can't comprehend it because the Lord, the Lord, listen to me. The Lord knows you. But the Lord then, listen, here's the crazy thing. The Lord knows you and knowing what he knows about you, he still chooses to be with you. That's marvelous. Verses 7 through 12, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bold and show, behold, you're there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light will be with me as night. Even darkness is not dark to you. (laughs) And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. There's nowhere that you can go and there's nothing that you think you've hidden that God doesn't know. He sees you and he knows you and he is with you. The Lord sees your life above the surface, but can I tell you, the Lord also sees your life below the surface. The Lord really sees you. He sees the inward parts, he sees you deep within. Psalm 139, 13 through 18 You created my innermost parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Can we just pause there for a minute? You, my beloved friend, are not a mistake. You have been awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance. And in your book were written, written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts for me, God. That ought to just bless you. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. What are we counting? His thoughts towards you. His precious thoughts towards you. When I am awake, I am still with you. Think about that. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. The Lord is with you. This is how he sees you. When you think about this, an iceberg comes to my mind. An iceberg, as you know, only 10% of an iceberg is viewed. 90% is below the surface. Typically, one-tenth of the volume of an iceberg is above water due to Archimedes' principle. But the shape of the underwater portion can be difficult to judge by looking at the portion above the surface. Too many times we see people based on what's above the surface. And we think that what's below the surface looks like what's on top of the surface. And I'm telling you, we're dead wrong. This has led to the expression of the tip of the iceberg. And for most of us, that's all we know about people is the tip of the iceberg. See, most of what you see in your life and what I see of your life is only the 10%. But God sees. See, the 10% is what people think you are. It's what your family and friends kind of think you are, but really the Lord sees below the surface and He knows who you really are. Beneath the surface, the person that the Lord sees is the person He's created you to be. He has all knowing insight and knowledge of you. He's created you with good relational vibes. Remember, vibes? The theme of this sports camp vibes, valuable. You are incredibly valuable. You are so valuable that Jesus Christ died for you. You are valuable. You have an estimate of worth. You are an influential person. Yes, you are. You are brave, you are encouraging, you are selfless. The Lord knows and sees who you really are, who he's created you to be, the deep, dark secrets of your life, the deep crevices that you don't even know about, the things that you like and you don't like about yourself. The Lord sees and loves all of you. Now there's two responses based on this text that We could come to, and one is, is that you would be comforted like the psalmist was. Oh, oh, how vast are those. My soul sings praise. You could be comforted because all believers who come to understand the attributes of God discussing the psalm find it a great source of comfort that the Lord deeply knows me and loves me. You may be here this morning, though, and those words don't comfort you. Those words actually convict you. Because you have appeared to have it all together, but under the surface, you don't. And you're like, is there a God who could still really love me, even though what everybody sees on the top doesn't match what's below? And can I just tell you this morning, I don't have time to unpack it, but I preached the message about four years ago, and I just want to remind you that you do not have a disappointed Jesus. When Jesus looks at your life and all your failures and your habits and your hangups and your mistakes, Jesus doesn't look at you and just go, man, I wonder when you're going to get it right. That's not the Jesus that the Bible teaches me about. The Jesus that the Bible teaches me about is a Jesus who looks up you and up your tree. And he says, listen, would you come down? Because I want to go to your house today. There's a Jesus who welcomes you. Jesus is not demanding from you. He's not just walking around in your life with a clipboard and saying, listen, here are the Ten Commandments, and you know what? I knew when you woke up today, you weren't going to get eight of them right, and I just demand that maybe you get them all right today, and if you don't, there's just punishment coming to your life. I'm telling you, that's not the Jesus that I find. The Jesus that I read about in the Bible is a Jesus who doesn't demand anything that he's on his knees praying for me. That's the Jesus that I see. And then Jesus is also not this distant Jesus that's just kind of in the distant of your life, always just looking over you to maybe find somebody else that's more important or looking through you, or maybe doesn't even really want to get acquainted with you because there's just more important people that he's got to minister to. That isn't the Jesus that the Bible teaches me about, but it's not the Jesus who's, who's distant from you. The Bible actually tells me that he is the one who's pursuing you. That's who you are that you are worth welcoming and praying for and pursuing. And when you embrace that and you really come to know that, it produces good relational vibes. So let's do this right here in this morning, in this this moment. Would you go before the Lord right now and would you simply just do what the psalmist said? When I think about this, let's just do the book. Psalm 139 says, for you created my innermost parts. I want you just to meditate on this. Let, let this sink in to you. You knit me together is what the Hebrew says in my mother's womb. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to go before the Lord right now and just say, God, I give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Would you just do that right now? Would you just say, Lord, thank you. Help me to see me right. Down in verse 17, the scripture says this. How precious, did you hear that language, precious? Precious. Are your thoughts for me, O oh God? How vast is the sum of them? I'm wondering right now, would you just go before God and would you just ask him? And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will tell you. Would you ask the Lord to share with you one of his thoughts for you? Would you just do that right now? Lord, please tell me, what is something that you are thinking about me right now? Remind me, God, of who I am. Would you do that? Would you take a chance to let God love you right now? Oh, Lord God, please help us get us right. Help us see ourselves as you see us. That we are your treasure. Open our eyes, God. Help us see what you see when you look at us. Because it's not about us. It makes our hearts praise you. It's really about you and your glory and you are amazing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. See, here's what I'm trying to tell you guys. I get good relational vibes when I embrace how the Lord really sees me. And I'm going to tell you, you will never be able to see other people correctly until you first see yourself correctly. It's critical that we start here because number two I can have good relational vibes when I experience how the Lord really sees others. See, when I embrace how God sees me, then I can begin to experience how he sees other people. So I just want to take you through some quick, quick, quick glances in the New Testament accounts of Jesus' encounter with other individuals and how he saw them. Let's just take, for example, Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, very quickly, put on your fast track ears because I am going to go very fast. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and he was unable to do to the crowd because he was what? Yeah. So he ran on ahead. He climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying he is gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. And if I extorted anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. You see, looking above the surface, he was a troublemaker for others' lives. He was a Roman tax collector who made his wealth off of the people of God. He was jacked up and stealing from the people of God. And that was above the surface, but Jesus looked at Zacchaeus beneath the surface. And he saw Zacchaeus' loneliness and he met his need of acceptance through a relationship that transformed his life. What if Jesus had just stuck on top of the surface? See, that's not how Jesus sees people. He sees below. He sees their needs that cause their deeds. He starts with identity because identity precedes activity. You always act of what you believe about yourself. What about the woman at the well? We find that story in John 4. Looking above the surface from the outside, she was just racially different, and there were moral things that she was caught up into. And this woman was hurt by broken relationships, so John 4.9. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I'm a Samaritan woman? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They were the half-breeds. John 4, 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never be thirsty, but the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. 16, he said to her, Go call your husband and then come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. (laughs) Jesus said, You're right about that. You've had five husbands. And the one you're now with is not your husband, and that what you said is true. But you see, Jesus could have just simply stayed on the surface with her and like everybody else saw her, that she was a Samaritan and she was a completely filthy, immoral person. But Jesus didn't stop there. He saw her, and he saw her religious confusion. He saw her moral confusion, and he met her at her point of need. And he let her know that she was significant to him. Jesus had to go there because he had to meet her. And most of the time in our lives when we know people are just confused and they're immoral and they're just living a different lifestyle, we don't want to go and be with them. We want to kind of skirt around them. Jesus looks below the surface and sees people that are deeply in need, no matter how immoral they are, no matter how confused they are. Jesus is the Savior, and he looks in love, and he steps in. What about Nicodemus? Find this story in John chapter 3, looking above the surface. On the outside, Nicodemus was religious. He looked like he had it all together. He was doing the right things, and he had all the right answers. But John 3 says... There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night. That's Nick at night, if you didn't know that. That's where that came from. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he he appears to be this religious person, but Jesus sees beneath the surface. Jesus saw the deep need of his soul for spiritual birth and for life change that religion couldn't give him. So Jesus says in John 3, Jesus responded and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you hear that today? That is not just for a man called Nicodemus. That is for every person in the sound of my voice that's ever lived on this planet or that ever will. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. And Nicodemus said, well, then how can a person be born again when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Nicodemus, you're missing it. Come to me and I will bring you new life. What about the man born blind? That's found in John chapter 9, looking on the outside, above the surface. This is a man filled with pain. Life circumstances have let him down. Irrelevant religion is just wrecking his life. His family has totally rejected him. The man who was a problem to people and handicapped and had no eyesight... Read about it in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. Jesus passed by. He saw a man had been born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, watch. They don't see people as Jesus sees people. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, should he be born blind? A lot of times, man, when people get off into crazy things, the first thing we said is, man, who sinned? Who failed, who didn't do right, what parent didn't teach him right, what dad didn't do that right, what mom didn't invest in that, why didn't, why didn't the church help? I mean, who's to blame, right? That's how we see people. But Jesus saw beneath the service and looking on the inside, Jesus saw the deep pain of, pain of a man born blind, and he gave him approval. The one that the religious crowd kicked out, the one that his own parents turned on him, Jesus Christ looked at him and said some things incredibly important to him. john 9 35 jesus heard that they had put him out and upon finding him do you see that when the world puts you out because of what they see jesus comes and finds you do you believe in the son of man this is the answer to nicodemus's question you must be born again to enter the kingdom this is now we're picking back up do you believe in the son of man he answered by saying and who is he sir that i may believe in him And Jesus said, you have both seen him and is the one talking to you. And he said, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. That's what you and I are to do. We're to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died on a cross, was buried and raised to forgive us. And when we believe that, it changes everything. But but what about the little children, since we're going to have a few of those here? Look to Mark chapter 10, looking above the surface, children were an interruption to the ministry schedule. I mean, the disciples didn't have time for little kids. And when they grow up and mature, we'll, we'll, we'll work with them. Mark 10, 13, and they were bringing children to him so that he would touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. God forbid we would ever be a church like that. That we would ever turn away children. See, looking beneath the surface, deep on the inside, Jesus welcomes them regardless of their age multi-generational approach to ministry. The young are just as important as the old. Do you know that? All generations are equally important to God. And an older generation must embrace a younger generation, and a younger generation must embrace an older generation. But please understand, the greatest need of this youngest generation is not their moral behavior. They are gender-confused There are so many things against them. And listen, their greatest need is not to get their morals correct. Their their greatest need is not their music choices. Their greatest need is not their lack of modesty, I can promise you. And please hear me, it is not their voting choices. That is not their greatest need. The greatest need is for somebody to love their heart and point them to Jesus. That is their greatest need. This is their greatest need. Mark 10, verse 14, Jesus saw this, and he was indignant and said to them, Allow the children to come to me, and do not forbid them, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever has not received the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. That's so precious to me. And I pray that that's the kind of attitude that we would have going into sports camp. So really, how do you see people? I'm asking the big question. When you look at them, how do you really see them? Do you see them on the surface, and do you make your judgments and your biases based on what you can see? Or would you be willing to go with Jesus and say, Jesus, what's below the surface that you can show me? Jesus, how do I see them like you see them Show me, Father, how do you see them? What do you see when you look at them? Give me your eyes so that I can have your heart. How do you see people? You see, when I see others how Jesus sees them, I can love them like he loves them. And when I experience how God really sees them, it gives good relational vibes based on that I'm embracing how the Lord really sees me, thirdly and very quickly. I can have good relational vibes when I express then how God really sees me and how he sees others. See, in light of the Lord seeing us, not only our above-the-surface activities, but we have to see below the surface to the heart matters. And I have to be able to see people and love them, not just rationally, I have to be able to see and know people relationally. And that's really the heart of our vision here at First Baptist Church. And So I want to tell you the reason why we're choosing to go and do differently. And this church may be just a little bit different for you. And it has caused a stink in the first couple of years of this church. I'm going to be honest with you, but I am, I'm going to die on this. A purely rational model will only produce irrelevant religion. I'm telling you. We can get this thing all right and still not love people. We're going to love people. We're going to get it right too. But I believe it happens based on four reversals in scripture. We're trying to reverse some things here. The first reversal is this. We have to put Genesis two before Genesis three. So The reversal is the fact that we've got some orders. Most people have Genesis 3 before Genesis 2. We've got to reverse that. Genesis chapter 2 is where God says that it is not good for man to be alone. That happened before sin ever entered the world. The first major crisis of man was not that he was a sinner. The first major crisis for man is that he was alone. And God put relationships in his life to remove his aloneness. And when Adam left Eve alone, she entered into sin. And when you and I leave people in their aloneness, they are more prone to sin. So we have to get Genesis 2 right, that when God sees people, he sees people as alone. Then Genesis 3 is when we fall into sin. And then God sees us not only as alone, but fallen. And for so long, the churches only saw people as a bunch of people who are sinners that need to be preached to. And I'm saying we've got to get this thing right. We've got to see that people are alone, and we've got to minister to their heart so that we can help what? Fix their sin problem? Yes, but primarily there's an aloneness issue. And when we step in and love people, they're more prone to hear the answer to Genesis 3. The answer to Genesis 3 is Jesus. The answer to Genesis 2 is relationships in his church. So if you aren't loving on lost people, maybe it's because you see them as sinners, not worthy of your time. We have got to reverse this. You have to love the people you want to tell about Jesus. Another one is is that we get Matthew 28 before Matthew 22. We're people of the book. We're all about the great commission to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all things that I've commanded you. And though I'm with you, says the Lord. We, we, we know that. One. Man, we're supposed to be about making disciples, and we're supposed to be about teaching them everything that God's commanded them. And I'm trying to tell you, Matthew 22 comes before Matthew 28. Matthew 22 they came and said Jesus what is the greatest commandment I mean if we're going to teach them to obey all things that he's commanded we ought to start with the very first thing that Jesus commanded which is the greatest thing and that is to love God and be loved by God and then to love people like we love ourselves that's what Jesus said so then when we go out there what we do in church a lot of times we just teach people to obey to obey to obey and it's it's great We need to teach them to obey, but where should we start? There's a lot of things that Jesus commanded, a lot of things that he spoke. Where are we to start with all that, Jesus? Jesus said, just go back to the beginning. The greatest of them all is to love God and love people. Well, where, God, do we do that? We're supposed to go into all the world. Where do we go that he gave us in the greatest commandment? He said to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first starting place is your neighbor. And if you are married, your neighbor is your spouse. So too many of us are out there doing things for the church and our homes are jacked up. And I'm telling you, we've got to reverse that. We've got to put marriage and family first and be people who can export something that's happening at home. Another thing that we've got to do is get the reversal of John 14, 15 right. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. And we do this all the time. We tell people, man... Man, if you obey God, it proves that you love him. If you don't obey, it proves that you don't. And I can't believe you just did that. It just proves you don't love God. We use it as a weapon. We use truth as a weapon to beat people over the head. See what you just did? It proves you don't love Jesus. If that's the case, then nobody ever loves Jesus. You ever thought about it like that? And so we've got to get this idea right. We, we can't teach people to obey first. I know that you're saying, man, you've lost your mind. You're a heretic. That man would make sure that I'm not, first of all. But I'm telling you right now, you can't start with obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, we've got to teach people how to love God. And obedience is the outcome of love. If you start with obedience, you'll never get to love. Love. But if you start with love, you will always get to obedience. You've got to flip this thing around. Plus, John 14, 15 is not a command, it's a promise. That'll jack some people's theology up. John 14 comes in a row of promises. Jesus said, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come walk in and receive you into myself. He goes on to make some other promises. And right before that, he says, if you ask anything, a name, according to my will, you will have what you ask. And then he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. In other words, a promise to you. If you get this love thing right, obedience will be not a problem for you. So we've got to reverse that and start talking about, man, how do we get people to love God? And obedience takes care of itself. You've got to reverse that. And then also then the reversal of Mark one seventeen. Jesus said, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And you're saying, what in the world? How do we got this one backwards? And I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to write it up here on the board. Rachel, would you, would you mind? Can you come right on the board beautifully and big for me? I really want you to read it. Don't worry, Nate, we'll push it out of the way. See, Mark 1, 17, in most churches, they start with this word believe, right? So right up there, believe, baby. Most churches say this, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So they start down here at the end and they say, you got to get everything believing right. You just believe what we believe and believe how we believe and believe what we believe and believe everything we believe about the Bible. So they start with believing. And then they say, well, then become. If you believe what we believe, then you'll start becoming like we are. So write that word become up there. If you dress like us, if you act like us, if you behave like us, if you vote like us, if you're happy like us, if you don't drink, chew, or go with girls who do like us, whatever it is that you want to put in there, if you believe what we believe, fishers of men, and you become what what we are, That'll lead you to where you belong here. That's that last where you belong. If you believe the way we believe and you act the way we act, then you belong here. And I'm telling you, that's how church has been done through the ages. That's how church in the 20th and 21st century really got to be off track. We produced a lot of Pharisees who had rational truth, and now they're giving up rational truth, and they're becoming great liberals. I'm just telling you because we focused on the wrong things. So how's that approach working? I'm telling you, it's not. So then you've got to consider how Jesus related to people based on Mark 1:17. He said, come follow me. Who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to believers. He was talking to a bunch of misfits, one that was going to deny him, the others that were going to betray him, others that were going to leave him in his greatest point of need, others who just want to cast people into hell bring fire and brimstone on people, destroy people, not really want to feed people, not want to pray for people, wanted to avoid certain kind of people. These are the people Jesus said, come, you belong. Jesus accepted tax collectors, prostitutes, and social outcasts with open arms, with compassion, unconditional love. Yet these first disciples weren't believers. And they were doing the exact opposite. But God said, you belong, you matter, come be with me. So we've got to flip this and say, no, we want to make sure that we provide a place where people belong. And then when they start feeling like they belong, they start wanting to become. And Jesus invited them to become something they were not, to become a part of the kingdom of heaven, to become his disciples. They weren't at that place in the beginning. Many were still pharisaical. Some were zealots. Some were arrogant. Some were mouthy. Some were selfish. Some were prideful. But for the first 18 months of Jesus' life, all he asked those men to do was serve a few fish and a couple of pieces of bread. Read your Bible. He was modeling for them what it looked like to be a servant in the kingdom of God. He was laying down his life. He was putting others first. He was healing. He was raising from the dead. He was casting out demons. He was saving from sin. And he said, I want you guys to just watch this. And then we read remarkably toward the end of that 18 months, they said something like this. Hey, we've never seen anybody pray like you pray. So Lord Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. And then they, they... Jesus sends them out somewhere, and, and they're like, mm, we can't cast out de- Could you teach us to cast out demons like you cast out demons? Because you see, Jesus made them belong, and then they wanted to become like him. It always starts this way. You start hanging around the, the people of God, and they're not worried about your behavior. They're just focused on loving you and just hanging out and showing you what the kingdom looks like. They say, hey, man, can, can I do this with you? Can, can I serve people like that? Can I do that? And then, then that leads us to believe. Jesus invited them out of a relationship of belonging and becoming to believe in him, to follow him with their lives. Because eventually, eventually it always gets around to this question. Jesus said, hey, for 18 months, man, just, just come along with me. Just hang out with me and then become like me. But I'm telling you, the point will come in your life and the point comes in every person's life where Jesus steps over the bow and says, listen, I've loved you. And you wanted to become like me, but I'm telling you, who do you say that I am? Because I am the resurrection and the life. And there is no way to the Father except through me. And unless you fall upon me, there is no way for your sins to ever be forgiven. So we're not teaching here just an easy believism or just a, hey, we're just going to love people and never address sin because this gives us greater credence and greater challenge to speak to people the truth. When we've loved them deeply, we can now lead them where they need to be, and that's with Jesus. See, Christianity is not a program or a code of ethics. Christianity is a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ who gives us healthy relationships with God and one another. So how does this impact the way we see people? Well, we have to accept one another as we've been accepted. We have to be gracious to one another just as we've received grace from the Lord. We have to forgive one another just as we've been forgiven. We have to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We have to greet one another with affectionate things like in the scripture, holy kisses, but a handshake will do in the church. We have to appreciate one another. We have to respect one another and honor one another. We have to support one another and bear each other's burdens. We have to approve of one another as we've been approved by the Lord. We have to give attention to one another and enter into each other's world just as Jesus entered our world through the incarnational thing that he did but we have to meet the relational needs of others so then we have to love one another as Jesus loved us and how did he love us he said I want to give you a place that you can belong and put you on a path that you can become and eventually I'm going to give you an opportunity to believe in really who I am and that's how we're doing church folks the reason why this is so critical is if you don't see people the way Jesus sees people, you will never help them belong. And what I'm telling you is, is, belonging is the first step to believing in Jesus. It all starts right here. If we get who God is and who, how God sees us and how God sees other people, a lot of people are going to go to hell. We have to get this right. So this is a place, thank you, sweetheart. This is a place for you to belong. We are not there yet. There are a lot of people who don't feel like they belong here. We're not there yet. That's why it's a preferred vision. A place where you can be accepted where you are and experience radical grace. A place where you can come as you are and listen, I've said it a thousand times. It's a place for you to not be okay is okay here. A place where you are a person who is much more important to us than what you wear. And God forbid anyone ever speak to you about what you wear. A place that no matter your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, it won't get in the way of whether or not we're going to try to love you. That's what we're trying to do here. A path for you to become. Our community is designed to be a place where you can encounter Jesus, where you can experience him at the point of his word, and you can engage in authentic relationships so that you never feel alone. And then we want to give you an opportunity to believe our goal in the fervent prayers is for you to become a Christ-following, serving person who honors the Lord with your entire life. We want to be a church with good relational vibes. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. So Nathan, I wonder, would you and our band come? So as you consider how the Lord sees you, I wonder if you would just know today that the Lord knows everything about you and he still loves you. I so want that in my life. Sometimes I prejudge people and, and treat people based on what I know. I'm still far from Jesus and need this in my own life. If you've never experienced God's love and acceptance of you today, would I, I would just beg you to receive the Lord, to know, like the song said that we sang earlier, just how much he loves you. The way you deserved is not what you get. Maybe you should consider how you really see other people. So I'm going to do two things here. I'm going to pray here in just a second. And Justin and my wife and some deacons and others will be here to receive you. You need to receive this Jesus who sees you differently than other people today. Just come grab us by the hand and let us know. We'll introduce you to our King. But really, I guess more fervently, I I would ask that maybe today we would pray for our workers, for our sports camp. And pray that God would give them the eyes to see these families as God sees them. So I'm going to ask, after I pray, I'm going to ask for those workers that are serving In our sports camp, I'm going to ask you to meet me right here at the altar. And I want you to come and kneel. And then any and all that would, would you come and pray over our workers? And let's commission them on this mission trip we're taking this week right here in the range. To love our neighbors as Christ has loved us. So let me pray, and when I pray, you come. Would you stand with me? Please, Lord God, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us your eyes and give us your heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you come? as I am.